One thing I love about teaching English is making sure to teach you the phrases that native speakers actually use in their English conversations. In today's video, I'll teach you 28 very natural, very useful English phrases and idioms that I actually use in my own conversations and they will be incredibly useful for you to add to your vocabulary as well. Let's get started with this lesson. The first phrase is very common amongst English learners. The phrase is no matter what. When you want to say that you're very committed to an idea, you're very committed to doing something, you're very committed to liking something or disliking something, you can say that you will do it no matter what. So I have seen the movie The Sound of Music so many times throughout my life, maybe a hundred times. I watch it a lot around the holidays. It's always on television around the holidays. So even though I've seen it a hundred times, no matter what, I will still always like that movie just because it's so classic and it's so heartwarming. If you are very committed to waking up early in the morning, you can say, I will wake up at 7 a.m. no matter what. Nothing can stop you. Meaning even if you're really tired and you stayed up too late, you are going to be very committed to waking up early. If you are very committed to a goal or a dream that you have, you can say, I will graduate from college no matter what. This means that nothing can stop you from reaching your goal of graduating from college. Even if it's challenging, even if you want to give up, you will do it no matter what. If you want to say that someone really knows what they're talking about, they're very knowledgeable, they've studied something for a long time, you can say, you really know what you're talking about. Now, this is an informal compliment, so don't use it in a super formal context. But if you're just impressed by someone's knowledge, you can use this phrase. So ophthalmologists, they really know what they're talking about when it comes to eyes. Ophthalmologists, that word in English, it means an eye doctor, someone who has studied the eye, who does eye surgery, who can help you with any sort of medical eye problem. So of course, they really know what they're talking about when it comes to eyes. If you want to reassure someone that someone else is knowledgeable, you can say they really know what they're talking about. If you've ever had a friend talk about a movie or a TV show that you haven't seen and they just talk about how good it is and you say, yeah, you've got me there. I really need to see it. This phrase, you've got me there, it means they have a very valid point. And this phrase is used when they're saying something that you should do or they're saying you're kind of wrong on that. You can say, yeah, you've got me there. So if you use this phrase, you're just admitting that they have a good point or a good idea or they're giving you good advice that you should do. So your friend might be saying, you haven't seen Game of Thrones? It's such a good show. Everybody watched it. I can't believe that you missed it. And you can say, well, you've got me there. Maybe I should watch it. If you want to tell someone that they have good style, meaning they dress really well, or they make really good choices when it comes to music or food or style of their house, you can use this phrase, they have good taste. Someone's taste can mean, you know, what they're eating, but it can also mean their preferences, what they like. It's the same exact thing as saying their style. A funny way to use this phrase is if you see someone in public, and they're dressed in the same way as you, or you guys happen to be wearing the same shirt or the same shoes, you can say, oh, I like your shoes, you have good taste. And they might laugh because they realize that you are matching or you have the same thing. 
Maybe you know someone who always has a good movie or always has a good television show or always has good music to recommend to you. You can say, I always ask you for your recommendations because you have good taste or you have great taste. This means that you like their opinions of music, movies, and television shows. One phrase that's incredibly popular in television shows, movies, and especially in books is in the blink of an eye. When you say in the blink of an eye, it usually means that something changes from one thing to another in a really fast way, or it just feels like it happened so fast. So if you're not careful when you're walking near traffic, in the blink of an eye, you could get very hurt. Of course, you know, you have to be careful when you're crossing the street and things and look up. Or if you're texting while driving in the blink of an eye, you can get in an accident. This means you should pay attention to the road because an accident can happen so fast if you look down at your phone while you're driving, which you should never do, of course. You can also use this phrase in a positive way. So if something happened really fast that was good to you, you could say, in the blink of an eye, I was promoted to manager after working at my company for only a few months. So even though a few months time wouldn't be considered a short amount of time normally, it might feel short because you promoted so quickly to manager. You'll hear this phrase a lot in the media, so keep an eye out for it. This next English phrase is very useful. You can use it in kind of two ways here. The first way you can use it, you can say you are going to drop a bomb on someone. And of course, this is an idiomatic expression. So there is no literal bomb or explosive being dropped. But your words that you are saying to someone are going to be so heavy or they're going to, you know, be very sad or very dramatic news that it's like dropping a bomb on someone. One example that comes to mind is if you've ever traveled internationally, you have to make sure to bring your passport. And maybe you're traveling with a group of friends and you get to the airport and you realize you forgot your passport and now you have to tell your friends. You might say, well, I'm sorry to drop a bomb on you guys, but I forgot my passport. So this would be terrible news because now the trip might be ruined. You might not be able to go get your passport in time to make it to your airplane or your flight. Another way that you can use this phrase is you can say you're going to drop a truth bomb, which means you're going to bring attention to a fact or some knowledge that everyone kind of knows, but it's really devastating and everyone tries to ignore it, but you're going to drop the truth bomb. You're going to tell everybody. So for instance, you could say, I'm going to drop a truth bomb on you guys and tell you that global warming will affect our planet and ruin our planet if we don't start changing our habits. So this is some devastating news. It's some news that we kind of already know, but you're dropping the truth bomb. You're letting everybody know, and you're telling everyone to change their habits. The phrase along the lines is incredibly useful in casual spoken English. You will hear native speakers say it all of the time. If you want to say that you have an idea or just a general idea of something that you want to do or something that you want to have, you can use this phrase along the lines. So someone might say, what are you going to make for dinner tonight? And you can say, well, I was thinking something along the lines of like meat and vegetables. This means you don't know the exact recipe you're going to use. And maybe you'll do chicken, maybe you'll do beef, maybe you'll do corn, maybe you'll do carrots, but something along the lines of just meat and vegetables 
you will probably variate those two things a little bit if you just have an idea of what you want to do along the lines. Or if you're like me, you never know what you're going to do on the weekend. So someone might ask you, what are your plans for the weekend? And you could say, well, I was thinking something along the lines of going for a long walk and going to some park. So you're just talking very generally. You're talking very vaguely. And you're not sure exactly what you're going to do, but you know what you want to do a little bit along the lines of. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. One thing that's important if you ever work in sales is to be assertive but not too pushy. Now, this adjective pushy, it means you're too assertive and you're trying to make someone buy something or do something and they don't like it. So this adjective pushy, it comes from the phrase to push something on someone. So when you push something on someone else, it means you make them do it or you make them take it or have it or you make them accept a favor that maybe they didn't want to accept. So for instance, some people will push food and drinks on you when you go to their house. They'll say, have another drink. No, I insist. Go, go, go. Or they'll say, here, you need to eat some of this food. I insist. Even if you say, I'm full, I don't want anything. They will push food on you. Maybe you want to offer someone something. Maybe you want to offer them help or a gift or something, but you're not sure if they want to accept it. So you'll say, I don't want to push this on you, but if you wanted to, I could help you out on Saturday or whatever it is. So to push something means to assert something or make someone accept something. But if you use this in the way that you say, I don't want to do it, it just means you don't want to be pushy. You're trying to be polite. You let the person know that they can not accept what you're asking or what you're telling and your feelings won't be hurt if you say, I don't want to push this on you. Some people say that we are living in the peak of human existence right now. This means that for as long as humans have been alive, this is the greatest time to be alive, but it might get worse after this. I don't know if that's true, but that's just the first example that came to mind when teaching this phrase to peak, when something peaks. So normally a peak in English means the top of a mountain, the very, very top. Now, when we talk about someone peaking in life, it means that their life is really good. They have accomplished really high things. They're very successful. But if we say they're peaking, it means they're not going to get better. They're just going to get worse. When you say that something has peaked, you can say it has gotten as good as it's going to get, but it's not going to get any better. It's probably going to get worse. You might hear in the media someone say they reached the peak of their popularity. So I picture music like Harry Styles, like pop music. You know, it was really popular a year ago, his music was, and it probably peaked. I don't know if it will be as popular in the future, but I could be wrong. Some people say it's not good to peak in life when you're young. Even though you feel like you want to be popular when you're young with your friends 
and you want to be very cool, it's actually better to peak as an older adult because things will get better then in your life and not just worse after being a kid. Have you ever listened to music and at first you didn't really like it or you thought it was okay but you didn't see yourself listening to it a lot but then you grew to like it, it became your favorite music? Well, this is the next phrase, to grow to like something or to grow to dislike something. These phrases mean that you are changing your opinion over time. So maybe you like something a little bit at the beginning, but the more and more you do it, or the more and more you're exposed to it, the more you grow to like it, which means you like it a lot. When I first heard Bad Bunny's music, I thought it was okay. I didn't see myself listening to it a lot. But then I started listening to the album every day and I really, really grew to like Bad Bunny and his music. The next phrase that I'm going to teach you is to dangle something. Now, literally to dangle something would mean to hold it out in front of a person or an animal to try to get them, you know, to come to you or do a trick or something. But we use this often metaphorically or in an idiomatic way as well. So you could say, I was dangling some candy or I was dangling a reward in front of my kid in order to get them to clean their room. This doesn't mean you were literally holding it, but you were saying, hey, if you clean your room, you're going to get a treat later. So you can use it in this way or adults sometimes have things dangled in front of them in order to work harder. For instance, your boss might say, hey, you're going to get a pay raise at the end of the year if you do all this work and finish all these things and if you stay late every day. So they're asking a lot of you, but they're promising something that's not for sure, but they're kind of dangling it in front of you. And oftentimes when this happens, I feel like people are lying. Like they're saying, oh, it's going to be so great. You just have to work really hard for it. They're dangling a reward in front of you. They're trying to get you to work harder. This next phrase is incredibly common for native English speakers to say, and I think it comes so naturally to say that we don't often notice that we're using this phrase. The phrase is in retrospect. Now this phrase is very simple to use. If you want to say that you're reflecting on something that happened in the past, knowing what you would know now in the present, you can say, well, in retrospect, I would have done this instead. So for instance, in retrospect, many people would have invested in companies like Apple 30 years ago, knowing what they know now. And now they would be millionaires because they would have made so much money. You can use this in your own personal life too. You could say, in retrospect, I would have dressed warmer if I knew it was going to be so cold out today. So this means you got up in the morning, you got dressed not knowing what the weather would be later in the day. In a casual English conversation, you can use this phrase to bring in the big bucks. If you want to talk about someone who's making a lot of money, like a lot, a lot of money, use this phrase. It's kind of funny. So for instance, at first, Ed Sheeran, I just watched the Ed Sheeran documentary. I thought it was pretty good. He was just performing on the street. He was what we call busking. He was asking for money for just playing his guitar and singing on the street. He wasn't really bringing in the big bucks, though. This means he was not making very good money yet. Now, he sells out stadiums 
with thousands of people. So he is really bringing in the big bucks as an international pop star. When you want to say that attention has been brought to something or some sort of event, you can say that it has come into the spotlight. So a literal spotlight would mean to shine light on something on stage so that everyone looks at it. But if you're using this phrase in an idiomatic way, you're saying that something has brought attention to an important issue or to a person. So recently there was the tragic submarine accident, the Ocean Gate submersible, but that has really brought into spotlight how dangerous the ocean can actually be. I didn't know anything about submarines or going down under to see the Titanic until this accident. So it really brought in the dangers of the ocean into the spotlight. This means all the media and all of the news has been focused on this event. This next phrase can be used in a really funny way. When you want to say that someone is being so bold, so hypocritical, they're being too assertive, you can say, wow, the audacity. So if you say that someone is audacious, this is an adjective that means that a person is willing to take risks. But usually this can be used in a positive way to describe someone. But if you say, I can't believe the audacity of this person, it's used negatively. You're saying they don't have a right to be so bold or to be so assertive. So for instance, if you have a boss that shows up late every day to work and then they show up late and they say, wow, you need to get work done or you need to not take so long of a lunch, you could say the audacity of saying that to me when you're the one that shows up late every day. So you're saying it's kind of hypocritical, it's kind of bold of them to say something bad about your own actions when their actions aren't perfect either. Another example that comes to mind is if your parents comment on something that you don't think they have a right to comment on because they're not perfect either. You could say, you guys have the audacity to talk about my finances or you guys have the audacity to talk about where I live, whatever it might be. You're just saying that they are being too bold and they should stay out of your business. When you want to describe someone that is very sad and they look very helpless, you can use the phrase, they look like a sad puppy. Whenever I watch a championship sports game, the losing team after the game, they always look like sad puppies. That means they always look so sad and defeated, just like a puppy would be like if they were sad because you're like, oh, I feel so bad for them. So you're saying like you have sympathy for someone if they look like a sad puppy. You might hear this phrase used in television shows or movies as well. This next English phrase is so common, so pay close attention. If you want to say that something is going to be mentioned or something is going to be talked about, you can say it's going to be brought up. So to bring something up means to mention it or talk about it. And you can say, please don't bring this up in conversation. For instance, if someone just lost their job, you might not want to bring up finances or money around them because they might feel bad because they're going through a tough time. Or you can say, I know Kelly's looking for a job, so maybe you can bring up that your company is hiring. That just means mention it very casually, very quickly. It doesn't have to be a super serious conversation. 
They say it's never polite to bring up politics at the dinner table. So don't mention it. Don't talk about it. Another topic that we don't often bring up in the United States is someone's age. So we won't ask them their age or we won't talk about how old they are unless they mention it themselves. This next phrase is really great to use either in a business context or just in your everyday conversations as well. If you want to say that something was solidified, you can say it sealed the deal. So for instance, you can seal the deal on your opinion. This means you maybe didn't know how you felt about something before, but now your opinion is solid. You know exactly how you feel because it was sealed. The deal was sealed. So you could say, I didn't know how I felt about snow before this winter, but now it has really sealed the deal. I don't like it. So maybe the winter was really bad. It was really harsh. Your opinion is formed now. You could say, I think that we have gotten the client to agree. We just have to seal the deal by signing it. So this would be more literal. You could say the deal is not complete or solid until they sign it, even though we think they're going to agree to it, the deal. This next English phrase is a little bit confusing to English learners. When I say that someone is giving attitude, it means they're behaving in a rude way or they're saying rude things, or they're being difficult to work with. Now, normally when we say someone's attitude, it just means the way that they act or feel towards another person or towards a thing. So you can have a positive attitude, or you can have a negative attitude. When we use this phrase, someone is giving us attitude, it means that they have a negative attitude. They're being very difficult. So if you have someone that you're working with, and you're, you're pretty familiar with them, you know, you wouldn't want to say this to your boss. And they're just being super difficult. They're not doing what you asked them to do, or they're doing it, but they're being very rude when they respond to you. You can say, why are you giving me attitude on this? This means why are you acting rude and being difficult? Here's the thing. This next phrase is very important for you to learn. The phrase, here's the thing, just means you're about to say something very important or you're about to say something that will give justification for something. When we use this phrase, here's the thing, we're usually saying here's a problem that we need to focus on or here's an important piece of information that we need to focus on. And this is used all of the time in casual conversation. So maybe you get asked to go to your friend's party but you don't have a car, so you won't be able to drive there. And maybe there's no bus that is running at the time of the party. So you could say, yes, I would love to come to your party, but here's the thing. I don't have a car and there's no bus at that time. So you're saying, yes, I want to come, but the thing or the problem is your transportation or how you will get there. So maybe in this conversation, you would solve the problem by saying, I'm going to get an Uber or a taxi or someone can come pick you up. This next phrase is rhetorical, but it's used all of the time in daily conversation. When you start your sentence with imagine having to, you're asking someone to think of a situation, but you're not literally asking them to imagine it or to tell you about it. You're just saying like, wow, this would be a tough situation. So maybe you're looking at someone who has a large amount of kids. Maybe they have five, six, seven, or even eight 
kids. When I see a family like that, I just say to myself, oh, imagine having to feed all of those kids. That means imagine the amount of food. It's incredible. So it can be something that's just very shocking or very awful. You could say something like, imagine having to replace all your things after you lose your house in a fire. So it's a bad situation. And you're saying, imagine having to do that because you just think it's such a bad situation. You can only imagine it. Have you ever known someone who seems to spend money on their credit card and they're living in denial that they have to pay it back at the end of the month? This English phrase, to live in denial, it means you do things without thinking about the consequences or you ignore what's going to happen in the end. Sometimes we eat unhealthy food and we're just kind of living in denial like the food is unhealthy. We're just saying, oh, it's okay for us, but it might not be good. So when you're living in denial, it means you're doing things and you're ignoring the consequences or the bad outcomes that might come from doing these things. And here's a bonus phrase for you. Ignorance is bliss. This phrase is saying that it's good to live in denial, which I don't know if I always agree with. When you have two options that are equally as good as one another, you can tell someone you can't go wrong with either of these options, or you can just say you can't go wrong in general. That means no matter what the person picks, it will be a good choice or a good option. The first thing that comes to mind for this phrase is ice cream. I love ice cream. There's an American store called Cold Stone and it has tons of flavors of ice cream, maybe like 20 or 30 flavors. And honestly, you can't go wrong with any of the flavors and you get to mix in candy too. So no matter what you choose when you go to Cold Stone, you just can't go wrong. That means every ice cream flavor is really good. There are so many ways in the English language to say we're going to leave. One phrase that I wanted to teach in this lesson is we're off. Or if you're not contracting the first part of this phrase, you can say we are off. If you're working at an office and your coworker wants to go to lunch with you, you can say, let me just finish this email and then we're off to lunch. That means we'll leave as soon as I'm done with this task. Or if you're in a casual conversation with someone and you're going to say, we're going to leave now, you're going to say, okay, yeah, we're off now. This means we are leaving now. It's a very casual way to say this. One common stereotype about Americans is that we love guns. And this next phrase is a gun to your head. I don't know if this stereotype is true to everyone. I've heard that people that believe that stereotype or that idea and then come here from another country are always like, okay, it's not that big of a deal. You guys don't all love guns so much. So when you use this phrase, gun to your head, it means you have to make a decision like a gun is to your head, like someone is threatening you, even though you don't have time to research or you don't have time to think about your options a lot. So you could give someone a weird situation that they have to think about, like a would you rather. You could say, would you rather freeze to death or would you rather burn to death? And the person says, I don't know. Those both sound awful. You could say, well, gun to your head, make a decision. That means don't think about it too much. Just think about it as if I was threatening you. It's a really weird phrase, but you will hear this in English conversation. It's really important to be able to use this next phrase in a sentence when you're speaking English. The phrase is 
to the extent of something. This means you're talking about how wide something reaches, either in its size or how many people it impacts or how long something is going to go. So a really simple example is when there's a natural disaster like a hurricane, a tsunami, or a tornado, you can say, what is the extent of the damage? Or you can say, we're really lucky because everyone survived the disaster, but the extent of the damage is, you know, lots of houses have been damaged. Maybe you're describing to someone the work that they have to do for their job. You can say, well, you are in charge of getting the mail, you're in charge of replying to emails, and you are in charge of keeping clients happy. That's the extent of your job, though. That means that's everything that you have to do. Your job doesn't reach any further than those things that I just told you. So the extent is the limit of something. A really common phrase in English is if you stand for everything, you stand for nothing. So this phrase means that if you support everything, your support isn't as important because you don't have the few things that you are supporting. So you have to have really strong morals and you have to have really strong ethics. Now, the phrase that I want to teach you is to stand up for someone. So if you stand up for someone, it means you defend them in a situation where they're being bullied, they're being harassed, or people are talking negative to them. One thing that's important to me in life is to stand up for people who are normally discriminated against. So people with disabilities, they might not have the accommodations that they need or they might not be able to do everything that everyone else does because of their disability. So it's important to stand up for them, to help them out and to tell people that they need to be included because it's really important to stand up for people who cannot always defend themselves or they can't always advocate for themselves in a situation. Have you ever met someone who talks a big game? The classic example that comes to my mind when I think of this phrase is the UFC fighter Conor McGregor. He used to say, you know, I will knock out this person in the first round. He would make his own predictions. He would talk a big game. Usually when someone talks a big game, it means they talk about their abilities or they talk about what they're going to do in a way that's very dramatic and they won't actually be able to accomplish many of those things. Now, the reason that he, Conor McGregor, got so famous is he talked a big game and he actually did a lot of the things that he said he was going to do. So if you talk a big game, you have to back it up. That means your actions have to match your words. Thank you guys so much for watching this English lesson with me. Make sure to take these 28 English idioms and phrases and use them in your everyday conversations. Or let me know if you've ever heard these phrases in a conversation or a television show or a movie that you've seen. I'll see you guys in the next English lesson. Make sure to check out EnglishWithKayla.com if you're interested in signing up for my conversation course. Thanks again for watching. I'll see you guys next time. Goodbye.